Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second is narcissism psychological viagra sex and narcissism is a hot topic in fact anything to do with narcissism narcissistic personality disorder psychopathy and sociopathology are hot topics these days and we certainly don't shy away from hot topics on mental health news radio today we journey a bit differently My guest is author and psychotherapist Andrea Schneider. Andrea and I wanted to share our story about this subject matter from a survivor and a clinician perspective. Normally, I act as the host, but when it comes to narcissism, we've been receiving more and more requests for me to share my own experiences with narcissistic abuse and permission to share stories of some of our listeners. Please join me, Kristen Walker, host of Mental Health News Radio, and Andrea Schneider, MSW, LCSW, and author for an in-depth look at sex with a narcissist. Andrea Schneider, I am so glad that you're on Mental Health News Radio again. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Now, I want you to, I know we're going to do this at the end, but uh, I want everybody to know the name of the book and where they can purchase it. Sure, yes. It's called Soul Vampires, Reclaiming Your Lifeblood After Narcissistic Abuse. And um, you can find it on BookBaby for downloading whichever platform you prefer. Um, It's also on Amazon, and uh, it will be on Barnes & Noble, um, but probably the best place to locate it would be through BookBaby so that you can have it formatted either for your laptop, your smartphone, your tablet. Fantastic. I am, um, I of course, lucky, lucky, uh, Christine, Louis DeCannonville, Michelle Malin, and I all got, you know, an advanced copy. So, <laughs> oh, well, gosh, you guys are amazing people doing wonderful work, and I'm truly inspired by the three of you. Well, we so, feel the same. Yeah. Thank you. So today is um, is an interesting and charged topic, and I think it's perfect around this book of yours um, because your book goes into the romantic um, realm uh, when dealing with a narcissist. And one of the interesting things that um, that I've 
you know, there's so many facets to study about this, but a big piece of control with a narcissist mm -hmm. um, is mm -hmm. around the sexual relationship. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean a physical sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Very true. And I found that to be the case with quite a few clients who um, were either newly dating or in a vulnerable place in their relationship, their primary love relationship, and maybe had um, started to become disenchanted with their marriage. Um, when a narcissist or a malignant narcissist enters into the, the picture, um, the charm of particularly a somatic narcissist can be intoxicating and definitely be a temptation for those who are in a vulnerable place. And unfortunately, uh, targets are, are very vulnerable for these types of predators. So my book does go into some detail about that as well. Yeah, I remember years ago in the early 90s when I was um, having trouble in my marriage and um, I had gone to some class and uh, the teacher of the class, boy, he zeroed right in on on what I, um, you know, woman in trouble in her relationship and mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know anything about this you know, terminology at the time, but when I think back on it now, um, the behavior was definitely, boy, he was trying to suck me into, you know, everything in the class was related to he being the only man that I could ever actually have a relationship with, and sure. uh, it was it was fascinating to watch, and thank goodness at the time, I, you know, I, I think I hit him on the chest when he went to make a pass at me mm. and said... Uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, brave, brave woman that you are to resist that. Well, it, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's funny. I I resisted that then, and I've resisted other, you know, things like that. And I've watched friends, but you get, you know, there's one or you know a few that can hook you, and you don't, and yeah. you don't resist it. And those are the ones that get into your mm -hmm. psyche and cause the most damage and <clears throat> it's always interesting to me to find out you know what is the hook what was it about you and that particular narcissist that created the trauma bond whereas maybe sure. that same narcissist wouldn't be able to do that with someone else yes that's a very interesting question and I think um, narcissists particularly malignant narcissists even psychopaths are truly um, very skilled at humming in on their target's vulnerabilities and um, you know you can encounter such a predator in any environment it could be a work environment it could be a love relationship a family relationship um, but when a extreme narcissist really hones in on a, a target's vulnerabilities they uh, see the, the person or the target as a source of potential narcissistic supply to extract um, life energy from, you know, in other words, mm -hmm. the analogy of the soul vampire sinking their fangs into the person's neck. Uh, basically, a narcissist thrives on attention, they thrive on affection, reaction, uh, what we call narcissistic supply. And so, particularly where it relates to a love relationship, a woman can, or a man for that matter, can be very vulnerable to um, being targeted um, in any setting, but particularly those who have a vulnerability with um, uh, maybe they're newly divorced or newly 
ended a relationship um, and they're seeking um, companionship or dating or potentially online dating, um, even younger women or younger men in college that are seeking a soulmate relationship, a narcissist can kind of become a chameleon and be the perfect partner, quote unquote, for that target. Um, so that they can attach their fangs and really extract that narcissistic supply. And of course, the target doesn't know this, and that's where the deception comes into play. Um, and a lot of narcissists prefer to target very intelligent um, women and men, for that matter, who have vast reservoirs of empathy and high emotional IQ, and those are qualities that are lacking in a narcissist. Right. So they speak people that they they want to obtain whatever uh, source of uh, supply that person has and so it's it can be very dangerous because oftentimes these individuals predators come out of nowhere and if you're not expecting it to happen it can happen very easily um, kind of the element of surprise absolutely I know with me um, and I, I've said this on other shows that you know there's that one that brought me to my knees and I want to preface that mm -hmm. it wasn't that he was so special um, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because he does listen to every radio show that I do oh, wow. <laughs> which is oh, boy. which is hilarious but um, oh, it wasn't that he was some special suave you know mm -hmm. nothing of the kind it just was about where I was at um, sure. in in my uh, you know I was very feeling very good about myself, newly good about mm -hmm. myself, newly divorced, mm -hmm. um, you know, very uh, on my own really for the first time um, as a sure. female and, you know, I was ripe for somebody to tell me everything I could possibly want to hear um, mm -hmm. and because the, I think what people, you know, we as victims give are so much shame. Um, how, you mm -hmm. know, we, this person was nobody that we found attractive when we first meet them, and then somehow they become the most attractive person, and then in the end, sure. you see them for who they really are, and you're just disgusted. And there's a lot of shame right. at yourself. How was I ever? Yeah hold in to mm -hmm. this person, my God, and mm -hmm. the power that they had over me and other people. I mean, I've watched the same one have power over many other, um, many other women and men as well. Not a lot because, you know, he's a small time, right. small time guy, but, you know, a yeah, few. Yeah. And I thought, well, how is it that I was this successful um, business mm -hmm. owner, had run my own company, uh, never got into that kind of a, um, you know, a romantic, um, emotional affair with someone um, before. Mm -hmm. Why did this happen at, you know, in this position in my life? And I think people don't realize it. It really isn't about that person is so special. It's about where you were at. It could have been anybody. Sure. It's where, yes, where you were at. Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. And um, you echo a lot of what um, many of my clients will say in my private practice where, you know, either they're in a vulnerable place and or they're in a really great place and, um, you know, when you least expect it, if someone comes along and happens to be um, wanting what you have to offer, whether it's intellect, um, IQ, beauty, um, empathy, um, narcissists 
are really stealthy and deceptive and can make themselves relevant to that target so yes. that the narcissist appears to be such a intoxicating, um, mesmerizing person to be involved with. And this can often happen in the work setting, but it can yes. also happen in dating relationships as well. Right, right. Mine happened to be in a work setting, uh, which made it even yes. all the more complicated. But um, for sure, yeah, it's you know the title of the show is um, is Viagra psychological or let's see is mm -hmm. narcissism narcissism psychological Viagra, and mm -hmm. um, I, I thought that was such a great title because of the role that sex plays in the narcissistic relationship and like you said the somatic narcissists those are the ones that tend mm -hmm. to um, they're the ones that are having sex <laughs> right yeah and then there's and, the other types that aren't having sex physically but they're right. playing all kinds of emotional games and playing yeah. sexual games with you um, mentally Exactly, and sex, unfortunately, is used as a weapon. It's yes. not used as something healthy. With a narcissist, sex is truly a weapon, and the literature discusses narcissists as being either primarily somatic or primarily cerebral. Those that tend to be somatic are sort of this caricature of a cowboy with swagger who... The Don Juan type. The Don Juan, Casanova, yes, who will use his physical attributes to target and um, obtain narcissistic supply. So that would be the, the classic somatic narcissist, somebody who's the center of the life of the party and everybody's encircled around this individual while this person is telling stories and he's gesticulating and just Mr. Wonderful basically, but he uses <laughs> his body to obtain narcissistic supply and will then be seductive and approach potential targets um, to utilize sex as a, as a weapon to extract narcissistic supply. So very seductive. Some are, are very overt in their um, seduction. Others are a little more subtle and covert, mm -hmm. but um, that's fairly typical for somatic narcissists. Some cerebral narcissists will often um, utilize their intellect or their work environment as their primary source of narcissistic supply, but then right. at times will we revert to using sex or language of sex, um, uh, you know, either online or in chat rooms or texting uh, with potential targets, um, and then engage in what we call seductive withholding, where yes. um, they will pretend that, you know, basically they'll try to seduce someone, but then will pull away and not offer that sex or that sexual attention to punish the target. So um, it's pretty dysfunctional to say the least, very toxic. It is, and it's very reptilian brain is how I, I look yeah. at it. They're such yeah. children. They're so emotionally arrested, emotionally mm -hmm. impotent uh, <laughs> that they... For sure. They're, you know, they're dipping... You know, there are the ones, of course, that do, you know, have multiple affairs and have physical yeah. relationships and, you know, that's the the somatic. But, yes, the my experience, those ones never, never get me. I can tend to, um, you know, those ones aren't a trigger for me. It's the, mm -hmm. uh, the cerebral one that, um, you know, was the way to 
to get in with me. And it was a lot of uh, triangulation uh, with his wife, Mm -hmm. um, making his wife feel bad about her position in their marriage, and then me with coworkers and other colleagues, and just a lot of mental you know, instant messaging and texting and emails right. and dropped hints oh, sure. here and there and, you know, showing up at different places, uh, you know, where I'm at or vice versa and it being inappropriate, um, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. But in yes. the weird part was to see um, the behavior where uh, he would drop hints like, women are disgusting. I had no idea how Mm. disgusting women are. And the Mm. talk about, well, my wife used to be this powerful woman. I don't know what happened to her. And I finally Mm. did have to get to a point where I said, I really don't want to hear about your wife um, and your relationship with her and how much you're fighting and and so on, Um, you know, because it's just not appropriate. Um, But it was one of those, it was one of those situations where it was a whole lot of talk and there was mm-hmm. never going to be any action uh, right. behind it because you're dealing with a little boy who didn't know. Exactly. How, I don't think he could have lived up to the fantasy he tried mm-hmm. to portray. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, that's a whole other flavor to it. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think you're spot on with so many points here. And you say, you know, stunted growth, absolutely. Most, well, all narcissists from, from the research that's been done are emotionally really the developmental age of a five-year-old as, as mm-hmm. you say and maybe some will act like teenagers but you know just different ends of childhood basically um, but not having the emotional maturity much past age five and for sure when you talk about love relationships and the triangulation that happens with a, an extreme narcissist for sure they will attempt to pit different targets against each other mm-hmm. and um, that extracts tremendous narcissistic supply because um, having two different women fighting over um, a male narcissist wow that's just a double hit right there right also many many narcissists will go after um, taken individuals Mm -hmm. people that are already in committed relationships married individuals because if they can target a individual who is married and destroy their marriage or um, bring light to that affair then they get a double, triple hit of narcissistic supply. They've not only been able to capture the target, but they've been able to, to dupe the significant other of the target yes. and then simultaneously potentially destroy the relationship. So absolutely, triangulation is, is one of the tactics that narcissists will engage in to extract maximum narcissistic supply. And they're so vacuous. They have, like you said, a reptilian brain. It's hard to fathom somebody just being so vacuous, but um, some literature has likened the psyche of a narcissist to um, like Swiss cheese, lots of holes Mm. and gaps that are missing, and the level of the ability to reach a healthy amount of um, engagement with someone is, is lacking in a narcissist. A narcissist lacks empathy, lacks compassion, lacks authenticity, integrity, reciprocity, accountability, compromise, all of those elements that are indicative of somebody that has high levels of emotional IQ. Right, and who is an adult. Completely lacking. (laughs) Who's an adult who's not five and who's throwing a little fit in the sandbox because somebody stole their pail and shovel and then 
reacts by tossing sand in someone's face. Um, you know, it's just ridiculous the behavior of some narcissists. Well, all narcissists truly are all about obtaining supply, and they will do it at all costs. They don't care who they hurt. Um, they, it's, it's all about fueling their vacuous void of an identity through narcissistic supply. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it's it. You know, it's been an interesting journey for me. I mean, I had private conversations with um, with the spouse, and um, it was really interesting for me to ask her. And, and boy, I I could I've had so much I could relate to with what she mm-hmm. was saying and what she experienced in the marriage and their sexual relationship, which was mm-hmm. a lot of punishment, withholding her mm-hmm. made to feel ashamed for having any sexual desire of her own, um, right. all kinds of things like that. And then um, mm-hmm. that she was a very aware that he did this with, you know, flirting with women and trying to make her feel insecure constantly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was very aware of, of all of that. Um, and yeah. I, rem- I remember she was obsessed with the, the, with the books, The Fifty Shades of Grey, books Mm. and I had said to her you know that um the fact that you are going you're deriving pleasure from reading that even that particular book which is completely unhealthy it's not a healthy relationship at all it's actually abuse the fact that you think that that's where you need to go in order to get Mm -hmm. pleasure shows you just how healthy your actual relation, your unhealthy, how unhealthy your relationship actually is. And she agreed um, with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it it was sad, sad to see that. And I think, um, I think one, another thing that people have to remember too is uh, I had a, a survivor reach out to me and say, you know, I just always felt like he was prostituting himself. Mm, yes. And, you know, so many female narcissists, too, just not yes. just men, of course, but. Exactly. It goes both ways. Um, both, I mean, all types of folks can be narcissists. We talk mostly about men because literature seems to indicate that there's a higher percentage of male narcissists out there, but there are, there are women narcissists, too. Um, they're just, they don't get as much attention in the research literature. But when we're talking about um, somatic narcissists, whether male or female, you use the term prostituting. I think that's a, a great way to describe it. Um, narcissists will use their bodies to extract narcissistic supply. So they will seek individuals who are enamored of their physical characteristics right. and fall in love in that infatuation stage with the swagger of the cowboy or the seduction of the vixen, you know, and use that sex as a a way to really hook somebody in the initial infatuation stages of the relationship. Um, That infatuation stage will only last for a short period of time, and when the narcissist determines that the target is on to them, or wants something more than infatuation and potentially is asking for a, a real relationship, that's when we start to see the devaluing stage begin. And um, oftentimes triangulation will start to surface or what we call gaslighting, mm-hmm. um, circumstances where the target then is starting to experience what we call cognitive dissonance where their perfect lover initially was so fantastic but then 
eventually there's these question marks that come to the surface and red flags where suddenly um, a target is on to the fact that they might be triangulated or maybe there's some withholding in the sex that's going on, seductive withholding, or maybe um, the, the narcissist might say a misogynistic comment to a woman yes. about how women are um, to be used and abused or looks at the target as either um, a prostitute or somebody who's sexless. So, you know, all of these things can come into play where a target will then become kind of dizzy with this cognitive dissonance and begin to really question their reality of the situation. And when sex is involved, there's this potent um, biochemistry, this cocktail of trauma bonding that can occur because with sex, with orgasm, comes oxytocin, the bonding chemicals and mm -hmm. endorphins that bond people together. But then once the abuse starts to occur in, in the, the length of the relationship where the devaluing begins, then um, this anxiety also surfaces with a trauma bonding where adrenaline and cortisol are also woven in there and all of these um, biochemicals really impact the, the functioning of the target who then is reeling with cognitive dissonance and spirals into a state of self-doubt and numbness when eventually they typically are discarded and gaslighting also plays into there as well. It is and you know the the of course the sexual bond um, is there mm -hmm. and but it can just it doesn't have to go all the way to um, right. the actual act of sex for that bond to happen either. I mean there can be inappropriate touching, there can be mm -hmm. um, inappropriate inferences. Um, right. Just you know there's a lot of ways in which um, in which it can happen and what I always found interesting too was to see um, how uh, you're treated as an inanimate object um, mm -hmm. so let's say you have two two men or two women at you know this gender doesn't matter but they they're fighting uh, for the attention of um, of potential supply and mm -hmm. so they're competing with each other over what right. they see as a possession. I remember sitting in mm -hmm. between two men, both wanting me to do business with them. Um, and I don't know about the other man, what I didn't know him long enough to know what his issues were, but the you know original uh, male that I was working with, a client who was a client, he absolutely treated me like I was a possession and there was all this competitiveness and ridiculous behavior, you know, mm -hmm. jumping up and doing chin-ups in his office, oh and, you know, trapping me in a room and just all this mm. kind of craziness going on. And uh, and I remember sitting in the middle of it and watching these things happen, thinking, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not even important here. This is about the two of mm -hmm. them and their contest for... Um, approval or whatever it is between them. Right. I'm, I'm not even really a part of this. Wow. Yes, I think what you describe is so common and, you know, as the target feeling like they're a possession or an object, um, very ob objectified um, in a circumstance and 
in this case, it really sounded like a somatic narcissist really um, fluffing his feathers like a peacock. Yes. To impress you and, um, you know, this competition for your attention and your um, adulation of his physical appearance is, is quite common with a lot of narcissists who are primarily somatic in obtaining their narcissistic supply. So... This happens a lot, and unfortunately, um, in, it can happen in the work environment, but I see it also in my practice with clients who are dating, and mm. like you said, it, it may or may not happen in person, but it can happen online, where a lot of predators that are narcissists will hide under the facade of a profile and um, try to en enlist and engage uh, potential targets through uh, sexting, through um, phone sex, through email, sex, you name it, it becomes um, something where the internet can also be used as a tool to obtain narcissistic supply. Um, and it allows the narcissist to hide um, and not to be detected, particularly if they're pretty uh, savvy with computers. And they can further have this pseudo-infatuation dance with a target without the emotional involvement but the target is, is, like you said, an inanimate object. It's somebody they're, they're just playing with to yes. extract maximum narcissistic supply. And um, they can do this through dating websites and um, you know chat rooms, you name it. So I, I have great concern for people who are new to online dating or yes. those who are very vulnerable and coming off of relationships. They are perfect targets for really sadistic, narcissistic individuals. Right, absolutely. And then you mix finances and you mix mm -hmm. working relationships or love or anything in the middle of it and you've got, you know, the mm -hmm. potential for uh, even the more. storm. Yeah, exactly. The perfect mm -hmm. storm. Um, now, the reason why I had, you know, thought of, you know, is it psychological Viagra is because they, you know, I've seen so many posts online and things like that about how, um, you know, you were looking for a soulmate or a best friend. You didn't. You weren't looking mm -hmm. for a degree in psychology, and right. <laughs> that is <laughs> that's what happens. I mean, you become a world class detective because you just uh -huh. know that something is going on and something doesn't feel yeah. right, and you're being ridiculed for uh, and told what's wrong with you. You're paranoid. Mm -hmm. You're this, you know, as you're being gaslighted. So mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, of course there's narcissism and money. That's a whole other show. Um, but in terms of the sexual piece, I don't think people understand just how key that is. Um, sex is a, is a primitive act, um, mm -hmm. It can certainly be more than a primitive act um, with whole, authentic, healthy individuals, but sex right. of itself can be a very primitive act, and what you're dealing with are primitive people. They've got a whole facade exactly. built up to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. act as though that they're, you know, Don Juan or, you know, the vixen or whatever, but the the nature of them is just absolutely your your... Um, the behavior, whether mm -hmm. in any sexual way, whether that's the actual act of sex or right. talking about it or just their whole demeanor is so mm -hmm. primitive. It is. It is very primitive. I think that's a good way to put it. And again, referring back to reptilian brain, right. um, this um, 
notion of using sex as a weapon um, yes. is is just so deceptive, especially to vulnerable people who are seeking that soulmate, who are seeking um, a relationship with substance and true intimacy, which a narcissist really cannot offer. And right. so sex is, is dangerous because once the target is, is hooked, whether it's through actual in physical intimacy with a narcissist or once removed via online or on the phone um, or flirtation, the, the target really experiences a bond, a, tra a trauma bond with the narcissist. The narcissist conversely cannot um, bond with their target. They can attach, but they can easily detach just right. like a leech when they're right. full of blood. And <laughs> unfortunately, that leaves the, the target reeling and in pain and dizzy with the gaslighting. Um, it's a manipulation tool designed to keep the target off kilter. And oftentimes, a narcissist too is very somatic or sexual in their approach uses gaslighting as well where they will seduce and engage their target but then eventually withhold and then pretend as if it, it's the target that's wanting the sex not the narcissist right so they flip things around and then make the target um, feel as though they can't believe their own reality of the situation, which then leads to cognitive dissonance. Okay, yeah, Sex I'll, is a weapon. Very potent. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm at a conference, and I'm there with a married co-worker, and I'm receiving texts about having sex for, are we going to meet up for sex for breakfast? Oh, wow. And I replied back and said, I'm looking at it, and I replied back and said, do you realize what you just typed? And his response was, well, I'm, oh, whoops, I meant eggs or something like that. And then he wrote, and I said, okay. And then he wrote back and said, wow, um, what's on your brain this morning? And I thought, how oh did you God. turn your yep. inappropriate behavior into my fault? Because it exactly. just, that kind of childish, um, just, you know, adolescent, childish, um, ridiculous behavior that, again, doesn't have anything to do with you. They don't, he had, exactly. at that point, he had no interest in, in me whatsoever because I had called him on mm -hmm. his behavior he forever. Did. This he was did. Absolutely. one last attempt at, I don't know what to try to hook me. I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure, you know, one last failed attempt at something, but, um, right. It, and he was probably observing you for your reaction too when yes. he got the text if he was in the same room. But that's a perfect example of gaslighting and um, showing how a narcissist can turn the guns on the target and completely renounce any responsibility whatsoever for trying to engage and seduce and sex and, and put it on the target as the one that's wanting. So in a sense, the, the narcissist can you know, fade into the background and not accept any responsibility yes. for their part whatsoever. And it's they can engage in seductive withholding as well. Yes. And I think this also speaks to, um, you know, some narcissists will use um, storytelling and planting ideas into the target psyche, whether it, the relationship begins online or in, in person or at work. Um, Something that's called neuro-linguistic programming, mm -hmm. or NLP, by itself is, is not a bad thing. It's the study of subjective experience whereby language expression can impact behavior. It was developed by two 
psychologists Grinder and Bandler. Um, however, pathological individuals like narcissists, malignant narcissists, and psychopaths sometimes use a, a form of NLP or mind control for harm and to exert authority and seduction over their intended targets to secure and extract narcissistic supply. So it's, it can be used as deceptive emotional abuse and it can also be used using sexual language. The skillful use of sexual language storytelling and planting ideas into the, the target's psyche. Oh, absolutely, um, so absolutely. Yeah, there's a real sinister ulterior motive for using this tactic for harm by narcissists. Do you think that, that I see a lot? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there are some that you know they've just behaved this way their entire lives, and they're, you know, this is just a modus operandi. This is learned behavior. They don't really know. They know that they're hurting people, but they don't really have the cognitive sure. awareness of knowing what they're doing. Yeah, I think. Well, in in from what I have read and studied, I. Believe narcissism expects or exists on a spectrum. So, okay. an individual could have narcissistic traits, or they could move further on the spectrum and have full-blown NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, or they could be very extreme malignant narcissists, or even crossover into psychopathy. But um, in in most situations, from what we know of the research on narcissism is that uh, narcissists typically um, were not nurtured well in their upbringing environments where they had any sort of consistent nurturance caregiving and oftentimes many narcissists were subjected to extreme abuse um, sometimes combined with excessive overattention and smothering um, but not all people that are raised in difficult backgrounds become right. narcissists it's just some individuals and there is some uh, research that is out there that indicates there could be some element of um, inheritance in terms of genetics so it could be a nature-nurture combination but um, very clearly the nurture or the lack of it in the narcissist upbringing is a huge component in how they develop or they don't develop and oftentimes like you said they're stunted in their emotional growth at about age five five or six in there so you're right on yeah, and unfortunately, yeah. in terms of self-awareness, um, some, you know, who just have the traits have limited capacity to maybe understand a little bit about what's going on, but if, if the individual is really extreme on that spectrum, they don't think they have a problem, and they are not interested in changing, they're not interested in compromise their sole purpose in life is to extract narcissistic supply and, and fill their empty void of a psyche so that they can function uh, by the appreciation and adulation um, and reaction of their narcissistic supply. And sadly, so, um, you know, those individuals, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say sadly, I mean, not sadly, because I will take out the word sadly, these, they don't age well. No. I mean, they, no, they don't, especially the somatic. Right. <laughs> somatic narcissists, they, they want all of the um, attention from their swagger and through their physical um, seduction. As they age, obviously beauty fades and there's less interest in, in that way. So some will revert to primary, primarily cerebral sources of supply, maybe through work, through the intellect, um, but 
aging is difficult because they have often burned numerous bridges and friendships and relationships and they're isolated and, and lonely and depressed. So it's not good to be a narcissist. Right. It's, yeah, and the the same tired stories, the same cutesy little instant messages or texts or, you know, kind of ridiculous behavior. Um, I had one that, you know, was famous for tripping over his shoes and walking into walls and then in, in front of me and then would run into my office and look me up and down like he wanted to eat me for dinner. And oh, I thought, what? on earth is this behavior and I also thought you know mm. you're in your mid 40s um, this is right. gonna get you know really unattractive as you get older it's already unattractive this might have been cute when you were a teenager but um, now this is just pathetic wearing his kids clothes to work and all this kind of craziness um, oh and you know gosh. I've certainly seen other um, you know others out there too that have been the more overt um, well I'm the best there ever was and blah 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 and mm -hmm. it just doesn't it doesn't get attractive as they get older it worked no possibly in those teen years um, when you know everybody's figuring out how they should behave and whatever but right people grow out of that um, exactly and exactly. It, it's especially unattractive when you're you know married with kids and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yes the very things that mature individuals need in enduring love relationships are the elements of empathy compromise um, patience um, accountability, authenticity, integrity, all of these things are so vital in empathy and those are lacking in the narcissist. So it, it just is unfortunately magnified exponentially as the narcissist ages and it's not a pretty picture for that individual. Okay. Fortunately, survivors can heal, they can yes. step away from an abusive relationship and they can um, take good care of themselves in their healing journey but oftentimes in most all cases that involves um, not being in a relationship with a malignant narcissist right and, um, you know going no contact and through a series of healing and recovery steps um, to to move through that narcissistic abuse That's no small feat no it isn't and it's it's interesting how much you're reduced to um, just you know your self-esteem is completely decimated uh, because mm -hmm. you were everything that you um, you know I've heard this said many many times you know he or she portrayed themselves as everything I could have ever wanted how did they know that right. that behaving that way um, and then when they discarded me or I discarded them they went on to mm -hmm. be with someone else and they were a completely different person they would have never behaved mm -hmm. that way with me that's I hear yeah. a lot about but can we absolutely yeah, it's really concerning that an extreme narcissist or even a psychopath can um, mold themselves to be the perfect partner for their target. It's like they study their targets before they engage and really figure out what is the vulnerability of their target, what is what is the target need and want, what's lacking in their life so that they can fill that hole for the target for optimum positioning for extracting that narcissist mm -hmm. And this can happen to the most unsuspecting of individuals. So 
it's not like you're walking down the street expecting to encounter an extreme narcissist or right. at work expecting that to happen. But I think education is the best um, antidote and having that awareness ahead of time of the possibility of potentially encountering individuals like this in the workplace, in the dating world, in families is essential. So it's great that you have these programs on, on your website, Kristen, where you're talking about it and educating people about the potential to have a relationship with a narcissist and how unfortunately common it is, but how difficult it is to move away and uh, heal from yeah. it. It's possible, yeah. truly possible to heal. It's just, it's better to not have to be involved with a narcissist to begin with, if, if at all possible. So the fact that you're doing uh, the world a, a great service by providing education to so many people is, is a great service um, mm. and having that kind of psychoeducation is, is vital for people to protect themselves yes they're armed with information so yeah to go through this I always feel I always felt like and I've heard this from other people like I was under glass uh, I was being mm. examined people talk about that stare um, that narcissistic stare and you can think mm. that that is a it's a seductive tool, A, that's exactly right. what it is, um, and you you as a healthy um, but unboundaried or not boundaried enough person that isn't aware of what mm -hmm. this is can take that as, oh my gosh, they can't stop staring into my eyes, they're yes. watching every yes. move I make, oh, they're, they're so mm -hmm. in love with me that they can't help themselves, and what you learn later is, no, you were like a, a specimen under glass, right. and they were staring that's at you. Great way to Mm -hmm. That's a great way to describe it, like under the microscope. And, yep. and truly, yes, that gaze um, that is written about in, in literature, a psychopathic gaze or a narcissistic gaze, it, it can feel uncomfortable, but it's exciting and intoxicating yes. if this person is coming on strong in some form of seduction. Where it's, it's almost like they're eating you with their eyes, yes. basically a predator, you know, and the target doesn't know that at first. They might be just flattered to have that kind of attention and maybe the narcissist is oogling them and eyeing them from head to toe and, you know, just trying to engage with them. But in, what's really happening is the narcissist is trying to read the target and yes. figure out how they can mold themselves like a chameleon to be the perfect partner, which we know is nobody, no narcissist can be the perfect partner for a target because they're deceptive and you know, they're hiding behind a mask. And, you know, I noticed this too. I mean, honestly, you become exhausting. Mm -hmm. They cannot live up to, you know, your ideals or your, just even your common behavior as an empathic, compassionate, caring, loving human being. They can't live up to that. Um, at all right. and so right. a lot of times the discard is happening because they're you you know you exhaust them exactly and they they may say that too to their target um, or their dating partner they may say you're too needy or you're yes. asking for too much and the reality is no uh, the, the target is not asking for too much they're asking for a caring human being <laughs> yes Exactly, and the narcissist knows they can't deliver that, so they're going to shame and blame and dump their projections onto their target and not own responsibility whatsoever uh, and will not make any efforts 
to change, compromise, or grow because they don't think they have a problem. Or if, if they do or if they are aware that they might have a problem, they are not going to change it. They like their life the way it is and they expect people to treat them um, as if they're special and unique and cater to them. So it's just a no-win situation being in a love relationship with a narcissist because it's, it's one way. It all goes towards the narcissist until the narcissist is bored or tired with the supply or the supply right. source has come on to them and lifted their mask and asked them to compromise or uh, be a human being. Um, that's often when the discard phase does happen. Yes, and, um, absolutely. Then, yeah. it, then it becomes a... Then the the gloves are off um, because yes. you, as the empathic person, are constantly trying to get them back to being that caring, loving um, person that they were in the beginning, exactly. and they're yes. never going to do that for them. You've mm -hmm. injured them um, narcissistically, right. so now it's a game of I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to suck you yes. in just so that I can hurt you for hurting me, right. for causing right. whatever exactly. injury. Yeah, I, I watch. It's absolutely revenge. Um, there was nothing like seeing the um, just having you know the the wife of this person say to me, "He has to have everybody love him." Mm. And she did yes. not say that at all. She said it in mm. a defeated, um, profoundly, profoundly sad way. And mm -hmm. I gave her a hug, and I was just like, "I'm sorry. That's just." I'm sorry that you have to, that this is what you have to put up with. Right. I just felt. It's, it is devastating. Yeah. It, it truly is. And it's great that she had you for support and education. And it's, it is. The discard phase is so incredibly painful for all survivors simply because it's stunning and shocking. And, and like you said, the survivor is trying to rewind and take the relationship back to the beginning when there was this infatuation stage and love bombing and right. um, the narcissist just coming on strong. But unfortunately, that will never happen. Um, but to the same intensity, it is possible for a narcissist to discard a target and then do what we call hoovering and circle back at a, at a certain point in time when their other supply sources have been tapped out yes. and they may revisit former sources to see if they can tap more supply and they may try another um, infatuation seduction stage again just to see if they can get their former target to respond and often that's all that they need is just an awareness that they that the target still thinks that they're hot or Mr. Cowboy or whatever exactly and, enough, and then they'll slither away and disappear so um, you know again it's just really toxic behavior it's it's so confusing for the target who generally speaking has the best reservoirs of emotional IQ and empathy um, and you know oftentimes woven in with that discard stage is what we call the silent treatment where the narcissist will disappear for chunks of time mm -hmm. so that the survivor has no sense of closure whatsoever um, on what happened and they're forced to create their own closure and ultimately that's what's necessary for all survivors of narcissistic abuse is to do what we call no contact. That's different than the silent treatment. That's, that's yes. basically choosing not to engage with their um, abuser um, and to do the work of healing, grieving, moving forward, 
and um, healing from narcissistic abuse, which can be done. It just takes time, and I think a lot of survivors don't understand that it's not going to be an overnight process. No. It will take time to heal, but it's very possible. It's probable. Um, but going no contact as a, as a survivor is critical. Even if the narcissist is imposing the silent treatment, which is really a cruel form of emotional abuse, yes. um, the, the survivor can just choose to go no contact, which means blocking email, text, uh, phone, social media, social media, all of that, so that they can move forward with clarity and heal. So, yeah, yeah, heavy it, stuff. it is. It's heavy stuff, and it's um, difficult, um, and it's uh, you know that ratcheting up of um, of your innermost desires and uh, mirroring everything that you could possibly want um, it's very intoxicating and it's Truly. so devastating um, to find out that this person was n you know never existed absolutely did not exist and to even watch right. ugh, to watch them with another um, another target yeah. in front of you and you're like my god those are all the things that yeah were said to me and see that person yeah. just puffed up with yeah. adoration because they're just being love bombed um, and you remember right. sitting in those shoes and being that person at one point and mm -hmm. um, I remember even saying my god I've got a cavity listening to you with your new uh, you this new person you've got in your company yeah. I mean it's made me sick you used to say all of that things to me, I mean, I called him out constantly. That's why he couldn't stand having me around. But um, mm -hmm. it just, mm -hmm. it did. I just felt like I got a toothache. Oof. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be a hard fall for this poor person when they figure it out too, because it doesn't, it doesn't take long. But the sad part right. is, you, mm -hmm. if you, if finances are involved, like this is an employer, or this is a marriage, mm -hmm. or this is a family member. Um, right. You, and you don't have the strength to break away. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, luckily, I was not an employee. I could leave and you know have my own company and do my own thing. I wasn't trapped in that. I, this is the only right. job I'm ever going to get, kind of a thing. So, when you're in those sure. relationships where they have seemingly more power than you, you're going to be recycled and reused constantly. Yes, this is true, and and that makes it much more complicated. Like you say, in a work environment or in a in a marriage where finances are entangled and children, and it makes it much more difficult to go fully no contact. And in those circumstances, limited contact is necessary. Um, you know, and, and each case is a very unique circumstance. But those are much much more complicated circumstances where an individual can't just up and leave or choose not to date that person. Um, when there's other circumstances woven in there, finances, children, livelihood, all of that, it, it becomes very challenging, but it is still possible right. to heal and even in the face of limited contact. It just takes a lot of uh, work. It, it requires, in some circumstances, uh, legal intervention. And yes. In all circumstances, I optimally and ideally, psychotherapy with somebody who's trained in narcissistic abuse and getting that support in place, um, you know, with support forums that are, are healthy and supportive. Um, but it's it's definitely a journey. 
and, and it's a tough one, but it's, it's very possible to heal and move forward and to have a healthy relationship again after having a toxic love relationship with a narcissist. Yes, absolutely. Um, right, you want to get out of the cycle of what I've referred to as the beheading of the queen. <laughs> yes, good, good way to put it. Every every queen is new queen, and you know we're not. I'm not meaning that in any kind of a sexual reference. This could be mm-hmm. you know male or female, but every new queen is going to get beheaded uh-huh. at some point. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you stick around and watch it, um, mm-hmm. I think you know in some ways if this is a friend. Uh, that you watch do this behavior and for whatever reason you keep them around as a friend, you know, you can see this cycle repeating itself and kind of, you know, just stay away from them. But it's it's harder when you've, um, all the more harder when you've uh, felt like you really love and care about this person. That is right on. It's true. And, and for that reason, in circumstances where it is possible to go completely no contact, that helps a lot because then... Uh, you know, all avenues electronically are, uh, they cease to be omnipresent and it's not like you have to go on your social media and see this narcissist with a new dating partner that he's flaunting or what have you. Right. If you're going no contact, then you don't have access to that and, and it can feel torturing to, to be able to witness that kind of triangulation. Um, yes, and But the reality look. is, yeah. And the new supply is not going to have a better situation. Um, it, the, the same cycle of idealize, devalue, and discard will happen. And the narcissist gets tired of their supply. And once they're discovered to be who they really are and their mask is lifted, they, they do discard and they move on. So it's just a very unhealthy circumstance. Uh, but the, the good news is that targets, um, you know, generally speaking, have high emotional IQ and they will move on to love. Yeah, uh, somebody who's healthy for them. They just have to go through the, the healing process to get there. Yeah, that's important. Uh, as we're getting close to the hour, I want to just kind of close with that, that we, the targets, um, we weren't, you know, horribly damaged people that, you know, were susceptible to, no, they're, what they look for is, um, you know, someone that that they look up to, actually. They want things from you. You are successful. You're attractive. Mm-hmm. You're whatever. You have financial um, abundance. You're whatever it is that they're looking for, that there's a reason right. they picked you. And you'll, even though this is devastating, you'll heal from this. They're not going to heal from this. They're going to be this exactly. way the rest of their lives. Good point. Good point. So right on. Unfortunately, um, narcissists have really kind of fossilized psyches that are mm. very much hardwired to be who they are. And, and I'm a very strength-focused therapist, and I believe in the power of change. But as relates to narcissists, unfortunately, those individuals are pretty much welded to their ways, very limited capacity to change and evolve into healthy individuals. Um, and it's what we would call personality disorder. Um, it's very much melded into their psyche. But survivors do have the capacity to survive, to heal, and to reach a place of thriving. And and have a wonderful 
love. I mean, I have amazing um, love relationships, friendships, um, family relationships that were, you know, deepened greatly by uh, after, you know, Mm. what happened. I certainly learned a lot about myself and continue to, but that's, you know, the, the gift that you can get out of all of this is um, deeper understanding about yourself, deeper self-love and actual um, healthy connections with, with healthy people that uh, reciprocate. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, those are the silver linings in having encountered this huge dark cloud of a storm with a narcissist. There truly are silver linings of wisdom that will serve the survivor well ongoing. And that's fantastic that you're helping to spread the word with the work that you're doing, Kristen. And Same with very you. Impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I want to make sure, I know I refer as many people as I can to you, uh, since I'm not a clinician, I'm always like, go to Andrea Schneider's website, go to Andrea. So tell us, um, tell everyone how they can find out about you, um, reach out to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I am a licensed psychotherapist in the state of California. And for those outside of California, I actually do um, life coaching and phone consultation as well. Um, and the easiest way to get a hold of me is through email through my website, which is my name. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's Andrea Schneider LCSW.com. And maybe we can post that on yes. this, this interview on the web so they have the exact spelling. But it's Andrea Schneider LCSW.com. And easiest to reach me through my email on my website. And I see also um, NarcissisticAbuseHealing.com is also your. Yes. That's also a website that, that of mine that I'm working on currently that will be um, more complete shortly. Wonderful. But that's another way to reach me as well. Well, thank you, Andrea. Don't forget to stay on um, after, so we'll have a, a chat after. But um, I wanted to thank okay. you for for coming on the show and talking about sure. um, about the about sex and narcissism and how those two coincide together. I thought it was the perfect uh, topic for um, your book, your ebook that everyone can purchase on Amazon or Book Baby, um, Soul Vampire. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's been an honor and a privilege to be on the call today. Great. And thanks to our listeners of Mental Health News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.